You're listening to The Doers Podcast, right here on The Doers Network. And now, here's your host, Donald Robinson II. Welcome, everyone, to The Doers Network. I'm Donald Robinson II, your host. And on this interview, we have Mr. Jacob Smith. A lot of good things going on. So let's go right to it. Jacob, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. Well, welcome to the Doers Network, man. Appreciate you doing the interview. And yeah, um, yeah it's great to have you on. It's, it's going to be an exciting time. Out there, people out there listening, make sure you tune in closely because it's going to be a great ride here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I can't wait to. Uh, hopefully, I don't uh, disappoint everybody with my with my uh, tidbits here. But no, I, I think I have some good insight to share. Hopefully, so uh, we'll see how it goes. Great. I think I know you will. So I'm not even worried about that, man. So let's start off with you. Who is Jacob Smith? What, what did you, what, what's your background, man? Where, you, where are you from and what's your experiences? What, what's your, what's your, what led you to this point in life, man? Oh, man, that's a, a really good question that I, I wrestle with regularly, but uh, I think I've, I've distilled it down pretty good. Um, so my name is Jacob Smith. Uh, I am from originally West Bloomfield, Michigan, so outside of Detroit. Uh, family history in Detroit. Um, I've been living in Detroit proper uh, since 2012, early 2012. Um, I went to the University of Michigan, so I've uh, did, didn't go too far. I'm south southeast Michigan uh, through and through, so I, I believe in this region and have have really dedicated myself to being here and contributing to this region, um, which I'd love to to dive into in more detail. Um, specifically with regards to my career. Um, I've had a pretty eclectic uh, career, but if I had to distill it down, it all kind of uh, circles around entrepreneurship um, and and a lot of technology startups. So um, I would say that most of my career has been around building technology startups. So uh, sales, marketing, business development for small business and startup, Um, but kind of more broadly speaking at a higher level, I would kind of categorize my work. Um, I'd say I'm I'm a Detroit-based starter, organizer, and mobilizer. Okay. Um, that's that's how I like to think about things these days. Yeah, sweet man. So, in terms of you yourself, are you an entrepreneur? Have you started tech companies yourself, or do you just help other people, or what? I've done a little bit of both. So, I, I actually my first my first work experience uh, was actually launching my own. Uh, business coming out of college. So I did some uh, internships and what have you when I was in school. Um, but then, yeah, in the summer of 2009, uh, my good friend Adam Duke and I uh, launched a business when we were uh, leading into our senior year at the University of Michigan. Um, I was at the Ross program, the business program up there. Um, and yeah, we launched a business called Go Green Energy Consulting, where we were helping Basically, uh, fixing uh, we were uh, rehabbing houses to be more energy efficient. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so so my kind of first first experience out the gate was was running my own business for we did that for a few years. Um, had seven employees. I'm really really proud of what we built. Um, ultimately, some creative differences between my partner and I. Uh, caused me to walk away from the business and sell my interest. Okay. Um, and then since then, uh, most of my work has been, yeah, like tagging on to existing teams at various stages of growth. Um, and I can go into more detail if you'd like, but uh, yeah, predominantly in um, business development, sales, and, and marketing roles, as I mentioned. Um, and yeah, I've had uh, a couple of them have been based in Detroit proper, one in Royal Oak, and and uh, venture for America, helping helping other people grow and launch startups. Sure, sure, sure. Now let me make sure I'm, I have my memory correct. If memory serves me, man. I think I remember reading about you guys with Go Green. You guys were on the cusp of green energy in terms of you know home efficiency on the on the onset, like when it was first starting out, right? Because I think that was I think I read about you guys. You guys had won a few awards and stuff, and got some notice some notice. And there was, this was right about the time when people were starting to be, just become aware of what home efficiency was all about. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I would say uh, as as like an industry, there's been a number of of waves of uh, of kind of public consciousness around, uh, particularly energy efficiency and yeah. kind of more broadly speaking, in the green space, there's you know renewables and and energy efficiency and different things um, as it pertains to to homes. Um, yeah. 
we we definitely were riding a wave um, of of interest and excitement around particularly energy efficiency um, as it related. So this was um, again 2009 to, to uh, 2000 late 2011. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was we basically stepped into uh, a situation where there was uh, strong strong uh, public sector support, so strong government support for uh, residential energy efficiency initiatives. So uh, there were incentives being offered both from the federal government as well as from the uh, local utility players that was all all tied to, to public, basically public-private partnerships. Yeah. Um, so there was a tax credit available. There were rebates from the different utilities. So we kind of, uh, we, we saw this exciting opportunity. Um, from my own perspective, I was, I was in school. I was learning all about uh, social entrepreneurship. Uh, U of M had just uh, launched a couple of social entrepreneurship uh, courses that I was that I took advantage of. Um, kind of, uh, yeah, it was it was new at the time, and um, I was just really really intrigued by this idea of creating a business. That the more customers we had, the more business we did, the more energy we took off the grid. Okay, um, I was just fascinated by that concept, um, and and my partner actually uh, approached me with the idea and. Um, told me he was working at Next Energy uh, at the time, and he just told me about all these incentives that were coming through the pipeline. And I was like, man, I, this sounds like a really exciting opportunity. And yeah. we were young and ambitious and uh, said, well, what do we have to lose? We can live at our parents' house for a year and uh, give it a go. Right. So that's what, that's what we did. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we, got, we got some recognition for sure. And uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of what we created. Um, we had an incredible, incredible team, I think. Um, I, I kind of view it in retrospect as, as a, kind of a crash course in entrepreneurship, almost like a, an entrepreneurial grad school program. Sure, sure. Um, where, like, again, in retrospect, at the time, we kind of thought of it as, you know, we were, we're smart and we're clever and we'll think of a better way to do this. I think in retrospect, looking back on it, um, I put myself at a huge disadvantage by, by uh, trying to do that without uh, first having learned from someone else's mistakes, you know, working from, you know, working under someone else. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't change it for, for anything, uh, from a learning standpoint, but from a actually growing a healthy business standpoint, we were so naive. Sure. Um, but really, really proud of what we built. And, uh, it, it definitely served as a foundation for, for a, a strong foundation for the rest of my career working in, in small business and startups. Yeah. And sometimes though, Jacob, you know, you, you look back and I think, you know, in my life, I do the kind of the same thing, but I wouldn't change a thing. Why? Because you became stronger in your experience and your wisdom and you learn from that experience. So it's like you could have you could have you could have been under the tutelage of somebody else, but then it may have been a little different um, because mm -hmm. at least you would have had somebody to show you. But then there were certain things you might not have learned by doing so. I mean, sometimes with people, right. you know, like with mentors and people who've gone through it, they 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 have the no the experience because they've done it themselves too without uh, somebody to sh show them so they might have you know if you have if you work behind them they might have had an experience you wouldn't have because you've worked right. with them you know what i mean so yeah and i think and i think it, it can go either way for sure um i think coming out of i came out of that experience with really strong generalist yeah. experience yeah um which i kind of didn't understand earlier in my career uh, what that really meant in terms of in terms of my own value in the workplace and and job prospects. Right. Um, so I think uh, it's it certainly again I I couldn't agree with you more. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, I think it, it's just different. I think there's something you can learn from from working for somebody. I think there's something you can learn from from diving in and, and doing it yourself. Um, yeah. I guess what what I'm really uh, getting at is is we we reinvented a lot of wheels. Um, okay. it, in retrospect, so just things that if I was doing the exact same business, uh, tomorrow, you know, with the experience that I have now, there's just so like, it, it's a different world in terms of just like how efficient we would have been, how much more efficient we would have been. Um, we spent a lot of time banging our heads against the wall, reinventing wheels, sure. uh, unknow unknowingly just because we didn't have any work experience, right. um, or, or any like, you know, formal, uh, like full-time work experience. Right. Um, uh, also we launched our business during our senior year of, of school, which, uh, is a whole nother story, uh, <laughs> that I could get into, but, yeah. uh, we, we were at different schools. Adam was at Michigan state. Uh, it was a whole, uh, 
very interesting decision that looking back, I, I really can't believe we did that, but uh, really, really happy that we did. Oh, yeah, and you're better for it. So that's the main thing, man. For sure, for sure. Now, let's go back a little bit where we talked a little earlier. Um, you were yeah. saying that you wanted to go more into detail in, in terms of your other experiences. Um, like what, what some of the other projects have you worked on since, you know, the bridge between then and with Venture for America? Yeah, so professionally, um, I've had the, the pleasure of working on a number of different really exciting um, startups, a couple of which, which unfortunately have ultimately had to fold uh, due to not raising um, additional funds, um, okay. so like being reliant on outside funding. Okay. Um, but I think like in, in both cases, uh, in very different ways, really could have been successful. Um, so just again, all, all really amazing learning experiences. Um, I can kind of talk uh, at a higher level about my how, how I look back on some of those those decisions and career choices I made yeah. as well. But uh, yeah, the, the companies that I worked with. Um, so the first one coming. Uh, so after I uh, after I left my own business, Go Green, um, I joined a company. Um, it was a DVP, Detroit Venture Partners, which is the venture capital arm of the Dan Gilbert uh, operation. Yes. Um, so DVP. Uh, backed startup called Upto, 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 um, that was, uh, uh, I joined as the director of business development. It was an incredible, incredible opportunity uh, given kind of my age and, and where I was coming from. Um, they were just looking for someone young and hungry and, and you know, passionate to, to run with it and be clever. And um, that was the energy that I was bringing to the table. And uh, yeah, that was an amazing, amazing experience. Venture, I got to see what it was like to work for a venture backed, uh, consumer technology. It was a, a mobile app, um, and and we had a, a web component as well. It was just a really exciting kind of really really ambitious project where we were we were yeah. kind of we were trying to replace the phone calendar yeah. uh, with a solution that that worked differently and worked better. Um, so almost like we were trying to be the the Instagram. What Instagram did to the camera, we were trying to do to the to the calendar. Okay. Um, so it was a very ambitious program uh, project. Uh, loved doing it. Loved my team. Um, ultimately, we just weren't able to to grow our user base as quickly as we needed to to raise more money. Um, we had a big partnership fall through at the last at the eleventh hour um, that that was out of our control and and things didn't work out. Um, from there, I uh, went to a company. Um, called Ambassador, based in Royal Oak, which yep. is, uh, are you familiar with Ambassador? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Ambassador is a, a B2B marketing uh, technology. They do, like, referral marketing uh, automation software. Uh, so if you've ever, like, bought shoes online and it says, use this code, refer a friend, and you both get a discount on your next purchase, something like that, uh, we, we had software that automated and tracked that process. Okay. Um, that company is still still running, still growing, still thriving. Um, I, I worked in a, in a sales operations capacity there, learned a ton. The, the sales team actually, uh, tripled, uh, in, while in, in my time there. Wow. Um, so yeah, like I, I got to see what it was like to be on kind of a quickly growing sales team, which was, was, uh, so again, at up to is that like early, early stage venture back startup ambassador was kind of this next growth phase, uh, venture back startup. Uh, ultimately, it proved not to be the best uh, environment for me. It just I, I was looking for something different. Sure. Um, so I ended up moving, um, got a really exciting opportunity, and, and took took a leap uh, to a company called Castle. Um, that was it's a it was a real estate uh, technology looking to basically rethink how um, uh, residential property management uh, operates. So yeah. it was both a service and a technology where we were working with investors that were looking to grow quickly in a market like Detroit, um, but ultimately with, with the intention to expand to other markets as well. Um, and yeah, again, venture back, growing very, you know, quickly growing startup. I was running our Detroit business development. Uh, really, really cool opportunity. Ultimately, we ran into some uh, unforeseen operational challenges um, and then uh, ultimately uh, also ran out of, ran out of money. We, we weren't able to figure out those challenges before, um, needing to raise more more capital, yeah. um, and then uh, that that company actually was was started by three Venture for America fellows. Um, so throughout my entire time uh, in Detroit since 2012, I've had a ton of exposure to the Venture for America program. 
Um, And then with Castle, I was like totally inundated with with VFA, both the founders of the company and a number of our our teammates uh, were Venture for America fellows and alum. Um, so then when, when the position opened up to, for director of Detroit for Venture for America, um, the timing just worked out perfectly. And, uh, here, here I am. Okay. Wow, man. So like 90% of the companies you mentioned, I read about, I know, I know, <laughs> knew about up to, and, uh, just, you know, a lot of the things that you're doing, I mean, I, I must've been like your unofficial tracker dude. Cause I, <laughs> cause everything, I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, and, and you, right. You, you were with some great companies, man. And, and you know, and that venture capital world is tough. Because if you yes. don't, you know, if you don't get the follower base, the customer base quickly enough, man, it's like everybody's looking for that unicorn, man. They're looking for that next big thing that everybody's jumping on. And, and sometimes, for sure. you know, yeah, and sometimes it just doesn't work like that. But here's the thing. You you gain so many golden nuggets of experience, man. I'm, I'm, I applaud you for hanging in there, Jacob, really, because you've had a lot of good experience, man. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really proud of, of every single one of these projects. And I think what, what often gets lost in the mix, um, and I think this is just human psychology, but there's a tendency for people, I don't remember what that's called, but uh, it's like the, the gambler's fallacy. It's one of the like psychology heuristics, but yeah. I, it's, it's like the, the concept that people, um, people draw their attention to success stories and they yep. ignore failures. Yep. Um, so there's a tendency for people to only look towards success. So it's, you know, it's that whole phenomenon with, um, you know, people, uh, all these, you know, tech publications publishing, you know, see what these 10, uh, tech successful tech entrepreneurs eat for breakfast. Right. And, you know, it's like all that, all that stuff. Uh, so as if, you know, what they eat for breakfast has any, thing to do with with their success right. um people just assume that they want to just suck up the vapor from from successful people and, and learn anything they can about their strategy but uh, in reality there's there's a ton that you can learn from uh failures or just i mean sure. i would call it you know learning experiences yeah uh, where um when when things don't work out there's there's certain ways to learn from those experiences in, in ways that you can't necessarily it's just a different type of learning it's not i wouldn't say one's better than the other but right. um you know i think this gets into a whole separate conversation about uh you know inclusion in in the tech space where i think i i feel very very blessed and privileged uh to be uh in a position where um i'm able to uh try and fail and then try again sure um i think that speaks to you know access to resources and and uh a number of other things, you know, that, that, uh, come with my, my situation, uh, my, my, uh, my background and my, um, my, my position in, in life, whatever. But I, you know, I think, um, more generally speaking, you know, if, if you can, uh, approach it that way, it's, it's certainly, um, the, the question that I have is, you know, from an opportunity standpoint is, you know, how can we reduce barriers to help more young, to help more people, be able to take risks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, uh, you know, reflecting on that opportunity and privilege that I had. Um, that's a huge, huge, uh, thing that, that drew me to a program like VFA, uh, bringing that opportunity to, to more, uh, to more young people. Well, it sounds like from your, you know, life's journey, you were groomed for it, man, because of what the what, one thing I wanted to ask you too, is how did you, how did you even, even before, like when you in high school and in, going into college, how did you, decide to be an entrepreneur at the gate i know you said that you guys had gotten together during senior year you know at your co- respective colleges but it had to be something before that to make you say wow you know i would love to own my own business one day is, is there something that you maybe you had experiences you know in, in younger years with running businesses before i mean because it seems like you were you know you were on that path anyway for some reason yeah that's a really really great question so i think there was a number of things so i i uh, first of all, just from like a personal role model standpoint, I, I had the, the blessing of, of being uh, exposed to uh, people that owned their own businesses growing yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like, I think subconsciously, uh, I saw people around me who owned their own businesses and the um, pros and cons, you know, the, the, the different things that came with that. Um, so I think like early exposure to entrepreneurship, I, I, you know, unquestionably, I think played into that. Um, to even let me know that that was an option, right? 
Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think I, I was, uh, really confused and, and not sure what I wanted to do when I was in school. Okay. Um, I basically, my, my plan was to get into the best, most wide ranging program that I could, sure. uh, to keep my options open. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I had this opportunity to, to, you know, work my butt off and get into the raw school business at U of M. And my thought was, man, if I can get a business degree from U of M, I could do anything. Right. Um, that, that was as far as I thought it through, honestly. Like, I, I didn't plan to be an entrepreneur. I, I didn't even think, you know, anywhere beyond just keeping my options open, um, you know, as broadly as possible. Right. Uh, and then um, I think as, as I kind of went through school, I mentioned those those social entrepreneurship courses that I took. Sure. Um, I had a few different experiences with uh, in school where – uh, taking uh, there's a professor Len Middleton at U of M who's just unbelievable, um, who teaches like an intro entrepreneurship class at the business school, um, just really influential uh, course, just helping like kind of reduce the mental barriers for me of taking that leap, um, and then uh, a few other professors that, that in those social entrepreneurship classes I mentioned. Um, so I think like in, in total it was it was a, a mix of exposure. Um, uh, kind of a, a rejection of, of kind of following the easy path. Uh, right. I knew I didn't want to do corporate right? Um, just because it didn't, it just didn't feel right. Uh, I wanted to do something that was exercising more creativity using uh, market, di- you know, market dynamics, using business to, to drive positive social change, um, create jobs. You know, I just kind of had this mishmash of, of different um, things that I was interested in and it just kind of lended itself naturally to, launching my own thing. Yeah. I, I didn't even consider joining a project, like joining a startup. I didn't even know that that was a thing right. uh, when I was graduating, honestly. Like that, that didn't even cross my mind. Um, but I remember having a conversation with my business partner as, as part of kind of what ultimately sold me. And I remember him saying to me, you know, he, he I, I had, oh, that, I'd say that that's the, the final piece was, was I had somebody to get me over the hump. I had okay. somebody who, who instilled confidence in me that, What's the worst that could happen? He said, the best that could happen, we never have a boss. The worst that could happen, we, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing. We lose a little bit of money and we, and we learn a bunch. Yeah. Um, so we kind of, we had that, you know, succeed or learn mentality. And again, I had the, the blessing and the privilege to, to have parents that supported me and I was able to live at home. And I took the leap, man. It was, it was just uh, kind of everything pushed me in that direction. But, but to be clear, my senior year, I was, I was interviewing with companies. I, I totally was, uh, was considering, um, you know, going to work for somebody, but it just, it never felt right. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of just fell into this opportunity. My, my friend approached me and the rest is history. Wow. That's great, man. I'm, I'm uh, just excited to hear that. And I'm glad for you, man. I'm glad that that worked out for you because a lot of people don't see those signs. Sometimes people turn down opportunity like that. You know what I mean? And, it's just a blessing to be able to have that and, and walk through that door and go through your go through that channel of, of learning all this different stuff about entrepreneurship and starting up a company and everything else, you know, because a lot of people starting up regular businesses by trial by fire, they don't have anybody to mentor. They just start them. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people fail because they didn't have that mentor, but at least making the leap is the biggest challenge of all of them. You know what I mean? For sure. One, one more quick uh, shout out. I did an internship one summer or I did, I did two different internships while I was in school. One okay. with uh, Charlie Rothstein at Beringia, which is like a late stage uh, venture, yeah. uh, late stage investment fund. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I did an internship for, it was like a, a month or two, uh, like a, a, a bridged little short thing uh, to just come in and kind of serve as, as like an analyst. I was doing d- like due diligence for, uh, kind of industry and, and individual companies. Okay. Um, so kind of had broad exposure to uh, kind of later stage technology businesses, which was really insp- inspiring. Yeah. Um, let me know that I didn't want to do venture capital, but uh, definitely kind of gave me exposure. Um, and then I actually did a, another internship where I was working with a company, Viva Beverages. Okay. Uh, and um, I, they, they sent me to England uh, to basically go like we were selling energy shots in England. Uh, wow. They were trying to launch like five hour energy, but a different brand called Quick Energy. Yeah. Uh, we were trying to bring it to the English market. And I was literally going door to door to like wine and liquor shops uh, selling energy drink. Wow. Um, so I think that that was uh, I think those were both in the same summer. So I had I had uh, 
you know, I kind of just put myself in a position where I was just looking for inspiration and exposure, sure. um, which for, for, you know, any young folks listening, like you can do like a boring, normal internship, but if you have that gut feeling that it's not for you, try something different. It's you're all you're doing in an internship is just learning anyways. Uh, so, you know, do, do something different is, is, uh, I would highly, highly recommend. It was really, really influential for me. Wow. That's great, man. And, and that's great advice too for, so young people listening, make sure you take heed to that because it's your world, it's your future and you can pave it any way you like. Um, the other thing, Jacob, not going into leading into Venture for America, what led you to that opportunity? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I, I mentioned briefly before that I had a ton of exposure to the Venture for America program previously. So VFA launched in Detroit. It's a national nonprofit organization that launched in 2012. Okay. Detroit was one of the first, I think, four or five uh, markets that launched. Okay. Um, so Detroit, so VFA kind of came into Detroit uh with a you know with uh with fanfare whatever you call that like <laughs> you know yeah. it, I, I remember it i i was i was working in the madison building for up to at the time um and a whole wave of vfa fellows swept in wow. um there were fellows working at at a number of different at the time bizdom uh bizdom u was was based in the madison as well yep. Yep. the madison's a, a co-working space downtown um, so there were tons of companies in the Madison and there were tons of like, uh, there must've been, man, at least 10, if not more fellows working in the space. Wow. Um, so I kind of just quickly had a lot of exposure. I was also living downtown at the time and a number of fellows were living in my building. So I just kind of like got inundated with <laughs> fellows out of nowhere. Sure. And, and the, the way that the program works, it's a competitive fellowship program, um, that attracts, uh, just really amazing young talent from around the country to, to join uh, exciting startups in emerging tech markets like okay. Detroit. Okay. Um, so that's kind of at the high level, what the program's all about. Uh, so the type of person that it, that it attracts is a, um, a risk, you know, a, a risk tolerance, um, you know, uh, they're looking for resilience and grit. They're looking for, you know, social consciousness. Um, they're, they're looking for a really specific type of person who, who can make a positive impact on the communities that they're entering okay. uh, through, uh, through job creation and community development. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I got exposed early. I, I just was blown away by the caliber of folks that were being attracted into this program it was a diverse uh bunch it's, it's gotten it's gotten way better with diversity as well but it was a it was a diverse group of really really interesting and different and uh outside the box thinking uh hungry you know like like high energy people that i just i wanted to be around and uh consequently i just kind of I, I befriended a lot of the fellows early on and then have kind of always stayed closely connected with the program and then uh it just so happened that castle uh the last company i was at was we we found out uh that we weren't going to be raising our next round of funding and uh for those that have never experienced that uh typically what happens is the the sales marketing business development folks are the first to go because you stop selling and marketing the product. Right. Uh, so, so we found out that we weren't raising the money on a Wednesday and my, my last day was a Friday. Wow. Was, was that Friday? Wow. Um, I think that that was a little unique, but uh, I, it, it's all good. Um, but basically, uh, so I, I was kind of quickly in the market looking for a job. It, it was purely uh, good fortune. It just so happened that the person who was doing my job before me, um, who I knew pretty well, uh, was moving to a different role in the company and they were looking to, to hire somebody. So it, the timing was perfect. She already knew that about the, she knew about the situation with Castle right away because it was a VFA fellow founded company. Um, it, it really, really was, was a, a mix of um, having strong relationships. So I can't uh, under uh, undersell the, the value of my personal network enough. It's been everything in my career development is, sure. is networking and, and, putting myself out there, uh, but mixed with, with some really good, uh, timing, some really, really fortunate, uh, luck, uh, that, that the opportunity happened to become available right when I was looking for a job. Wow. That's fantastic, man. That is fantastic. Um, but we continue on Jacob and let's switch it. Gear, let's switch gears a little bit. 
to yeah. the actual entrepreneurship scene here in Detroit. What what's your take sure. on the tech entrepreneurship scenes, tech the tech entrepreneurship and creative scenes here in Detroit as far as, you know, it's growing and budding out and it's starting to bloom really, really nicely. What's, what's your take on it? Yeah, I would say uh, that uh, early but growing. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think it, it's really, and, and uh, when I say growing, I, I can't express how much how much more and and i know you've been in in the scene for for some time as well yeah um so i'd love to get your take here but i the last time before before this most recent job transition to to venture for america for me the last time i was looking for a job was four years ago okay i cannot express to people out there that might not be like highly plugged into the system how much has changed in in those four years in terms of how much more organized and developed the tech ecosystem really is in terms of the number of people here in the city, broadly speaking, in terms of uh, the presence of large tech, you know, now you have Google's open their office in Little Caesars Arena. You've got Microsoft just open their office, Snapchat and LinkedIn are in WeWork. Uh, Man, I mean, we've got, you know, Amazon uh, has an office in Detroit. You have these, you know, the big tech players mixed with just so many more so many more startups and, and more than just startups, so many more funded startups. Sure. Um, so like stable, not necessarily funded, like stable startups. There's more uh, more developed uh, infrastructure for accelerators and, and incubator programs. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, just a, a much, it's, it's a much healthier scene, even than just, you know, I, I moved down here six years ago and it's, it's just, there's so many more resources um available to, to take advantage of which is really exciting oh yeah um, in terms of the in terms of the creative scene i don't know if you mean the professional creative scene but uh broadly speaking no nobody does creative in my opinion quite like detroit i think adversity brings out uh the, the creativity in, in people and yep. you know i think detroit i i don't think the creative uh flame ever uh got anywhere close to fanning out in detroit right um it, it's just kind of morphed um, so if you're looking for creative inspiration, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation and, sure. uh, between the music, the music scene, the visual arts scene, um, you know, I, I, that's what sold me on the city was, was like the, the jazz and arts scene, yeah. um, and hip hop and, you know, all the stuff that all the, the arts that are, uh, available to, to experience. Um, you know, it, I, I, in my opinion, Detroit is, is as, uh, incredible of, of a creative uh, ecosystem as, as anywhere that I've ever been. Yeah. Um, and then just, I think one, uh, a couple more, just really, really quick things to highlight. Uh, Detroit is a place that's highly, highly, Detroit is a, an entrepreneurial ecosystem that's highly supportive. Yeah. In a way that when I talk to friends that work for startups in Chicago, New York, San Francisco, LA, Austin, it's just not the same. It's in New York, it's very competitive. In San Francisco, it's very, uh, you know, how much have you raised? And it's just a different, you know, you watch Silicon Valley to, to get a sense of what that's like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> partially kidding. Um, right. You know, no knock on those markets. There are, there's opportunities and money available and different, there's, there's strengths in those markets that Detroit lacks in a place like Detroit. On the flip side, there's huge opportunity uh, in, a, in a market like Detroit that is missed in, in those large tech markets. Yeah. It's a highly supportive scene. People, if you are contributing positively and bringing good energy to the table, everybody wants everybody wants to help. Yeah, it's just a, it's a place where if you're bringing if you're being authentic and if you're bringing good intentions and energy, you you can find a ton of support. It's easy to navigate and, and get in touch with with you know the, with the big players. Um, in a way that you certainly couldn't do, you know, as, as you can be a, a big fish in a small pond is what, is what you often hear people say. Oh yeah. Um, you, you can come in and make a, a big splash more quickly in a way that, that would be more difficult in one of the larger, uh, tech markets. I think Detroit clearly still has enormous room to grow, both in terms of, uh, funding, funding resources being available, uh, just from an, like organizing the ecosystem standpoint, just, it's, it's very, disparate there's lots of folks working on that that have done great work but uh still very spread out and communication uh remains a challenge yeah i would say the, the biggest challenge facing detroit's entrepreneurial ecosystem is in, in my opinion is unquestionably 
diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Uh, you've got an ecosystem that I don't need to tell you is 83% black. Right. And, you know, the, the tech ecosystem is overwhelmingly white and male. Yep. I think this reflects broader trends that, that uh, impact the technology industry across the country. But uh, it, it's particularly stark in Detroit because of the demographic uh, numbers. Yeah. Um, so no doubt that there's still enormous challenges. I'm, I'm an optimist and also a realist. Um, but when I see challenges like that, to, to me, that, that represents an opportunity, not a not a, a reason to throw up our hands and, and say, you know, too bad. Right, not a barrier. And I think uh, going rewinding a little bit back, I think that what we talked what you talked about earlier, the adver- the adversity factor in especially with Detroit's history, because we had so much adversity for the past several decades. I think that helps spur the togetherness factor, the people that the re- the willingness for people to support each other. The whole narrative changing about that, and people like young people like yourself making the conscious decision to move back into the city and contribute to make a difference. And then, you know, now I think the reason why I brought up all three scenes tech, entrepreneurship, and creatives because it seems like sure. they're they're starting to be symbiotic in terms of their it's mm-hmm. like they're it's like they're starting to interrelate with each other. And so now you see a convergence a lot of times with some even some of the projects. You some of these a lot of projects you're seeing more and more of them encompassing all three factors you know what i mean and um that's that's the beautiful thing about it and and i think those kind of things are what what's helping change the narrative in in the city's diversity and things like that you know i talk about all the time about the fact that people in the neighborhoods feeling i feel left out to a certain extent but that's only because the information is only getting so far and if you don't come downtown you're not going to get it anyway but i think that narrative is changing and and i think for, for groups like, you know, VFA and other groups that are reaching out to the neighborhoods, that's what's helping that narrative change even faster because that's what needs to happen. If, if, if people are not going to get off their front porch to find out what's going on, they're never going to find out. But if the, if, the, if the opportunity is, I wouldn't say in their lap, but if the opportunity is closer to their front porch, then they'll be will, more willing to take a second look at it. And I think even with, you know, some of the things I've been involved with lately with the whole education for coding piece for kids and things like that and bringing that oh, yeah. to the neighborhoods i think that's helping change all of that too and you know it's just, that's just going to keep growing too because a lot of these kids out here they really have the tools and the know-how and the skills they just didn't have the opportunity and no one to show them how to make that you know connect the dots you know what i mean right and and that comes back to i mean but what i started with which is you know just exposure it's like oh, yeah. you, you start with exposure and show people what's possible and then you know, and then it's access to resources and access to information and, you know, ultimately influence and, and, you know, the ability to get things done, right. Influence and power. But yeah, I, but it's all, I I couldn't agree more. I think I I totally, totally agree that that it's converging and uh, it's only getting more. uh, People are only collaborating more. Yep. That's, you know, an increasing trend that I see. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, looking forward and I, you know, when I think about where things will, will be going um, in the future, you know, I think right now Detroit is really riding kind of a trend that you're seeing more generally speaking sure. in the Midwest, which is, uh, you know, money. <laughs> so investors particularly uh, picking up their heads and, and saying, oh, there's there's economic opportunities outside of just Silicon Valley. Right, um, right. <laughs> you know, I think um, you're, you're starting to see kind of that uh, recognition that there is enough density of ideas and of talent and of resources, um, and that you know, with that, that oftentimes what's what's missing is is uh, capital, yep. uh, particularly. And then I think there's other pieces that play into it. I think that Detroit, compared to one of the large tech ecosystems, is still uh, lacking in certain types of mentorship. Sure. Um, so you know. Highly, there's 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 a, a there's not as many examples of highly successful startups right. to, to to tap. So you've got the duo securities, you've got the you know some some different local success stories. But uh, you know there's there's clearly you know things that that the Silicon Valley's of the world can can provide to a market like Detroit. And when you mix those two things together, there's uh, there's opportunities that, that exist here that, that don't exist in the Bay for all yeah. sorts of reasons. Yeah. 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 And, um, the other thing too, man, I wanted to ask you turning that narrative a little bit. So 
Where do you see those the Detroit scene in terms of tech, entrepreneurship, and creativity? Where, where do you see them in the near future, the next five to ten years? Where do you see it going? That's a great question. So, so playing into what I was just describing, um, I do think you'll continue to see. I think we're at the. This is just my personal my personal opinion, and from from the research that I've done, yeah. I think we're at the the very beginning. Maybe not the very beginning, but we're at we're early. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in in kind of this this change towards uh, investors looking outside of, of Silicon Valley, yeah, um, and and really starting to to invest in in other uh, areas, and and I think that's really where the venture for model venture for America model comes into play. Is like you have these these amazing tech hubs and and you know emerging economies. Uh, you know, re- revitalizing economies, whatever you want to call it, around the country, in in areas that you you wouldn't necessarily expect, all over the right. place, and right. uh, with with strong regional support uh, from foundations and from governments and, and different things. So it's like, how do you how do you get these markets over the hump? I think Detroit will keep uh, riding that wave. I think that Detroit's success is clearly tied to kind of the overall. Uh, or the, the excuse me, the Detroit's tech ecosystem success is, is unquestionably tied to kind of the overall uh, economic development in the region. So sure. um, I have every reason to believe that, uh, you know, short of, of, you know, another housing, you know, of, of a debt crisis or, uh, you know, short of, of something happening on like the national scale, I, I don't see Detroit's growth slowing anytime soon. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm certainly extremely optimistic about the direction things are headed. I think Detroit's brand is is starting to turn around. And I think that the tech scene is is just a pure beneficiary of all the positive change that, that's happening more broadly in, in Detroit's community and then you know, in the community in Detroit and and the, the economy here. Yeah, um and then and then I, I can't uh, I hope I, I'm not beating a dead horse, but um I think in the next five to ten years, I think you're gonna see uh in a place like Detroit, you're gonna see more um, you're already seeing it with with work that JP Morgan's doing with the Entrepreneurs of Color Fund and 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 a program like Venture for America focusing on diversity and inclusion. I think you're going to start to see this this trend more broadly speaking um, of uh, folks realizing that uh, diversity in the workplace, but but specifically in tech, where it's it's such a stark lack of of gender diversity of of ethnic diversity of, of no matter how you slice it diversity of background sure um that diversity of background especially in the creative slash startup slash entrepreneurial ecosystem yeah is, is especially in in a in a industry like like this uh you need diversity of perspective to drive creative problem solving and yep. to, to to think see things through a different lens and, and create this mishmash of, um, of, of ideas. And I think, um, there's, there's strong local leaders, um, you know, offhand, I'm thinking of Doug Song, who, um, I saw, uh, do a fireside chat at Bamboo, um, a couple months ago, whenever that was, yep. uh, were, were you there for that? Yep. At Acrasi? So yeah. So, I mean, like just hearing, you know, leaders like Doug, uh, talking about how like they're not hiring for diversity because the, I mean, because it's the right thing to do, but they're they're hiring for diversity because it's the best thing for their company. Exactly right. Like it, you know, and he he makes it sound so simple. <laughs> uh, like he makes it sound so obvious, but you know, I think a lot of people are still, um, with startups especially. It's I, it's not for, it's not malicious. People 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 hire people that through their personal networks and yeah. people that you know give make them give them a good gut feeling you know it's like it's all these things that that don't account for uh implicit bias and structural racism and you know it's uh there's there's all these barriers that um i think startups are so head down um you know cranking on on their businesses that they they it's it's a lot harder to kind of pick your head up and um and and be thinking outside of that mold so then you know we start to start to talk about how do you how do you break down those barriers um earlier in the in the funnel so that the um, so that the talent is available and, and it's, uh, and, and, you know, startups can, can, that it's not, you don't have to dig to find the right people that it's, yeah. it's you know, right, right in your face. Well, um, well, I'll tell you this yeah. much, Jacob, I think that you've touched on a very notable aspect of it because 
it's it's the human nature, you know, homogeneous kind of thing. You're, you're going to gravitate towards people who think like you, look like you, you know, talk like you. I mean, that if you think about your own social personal networks, I mean, we we mm-hmm. bond with friends that, that think like we do. I mean, people that we have in, things in common with and more it's more comfortable to have somebody more in common with you to, to be a business partner with or hire somebody or something like that. But I think, but I think even in spite of all of that in Detroit, it's becoming um, a very interesting place in, even in that notion, because like, for example, you know, going to bamboo all these years and going to other different places, meeting Mm -hmm. a multitude of different people from different backgrounds that, that sparks the thing too, because then it's like, you know, um, you and I could have met somewhere and said, oh, yeah, I've, I've been dealing with venture capital. Oh, yeah, well, I'm thinking about running a business. So then two people are coming together that need each other. So it's not about race. It's not about, you know, status, class, background, whatever. It's just two guys who want to come up with a good, cool idea. And, and we're just getting together and, and chewing the fat on it. And I think more of that is happening, you know, with like Bamboo Detroit. We work in this space now and different mm-hmm. meetups, all the different little and that's how I got going, you know, three, four, about four, no, four or five years ago, almost just being at all the different events and just meeting people and just expanding the network, just meeting people. And it's not, it's not about trying to find somebody who need who you can get what you need from. It's more about establishing relationships. And now you have this cohesive ecosystem that's budding and, and it's like a family now. And, and, you know, that, that's what's making it special in Detroit too, as well. And I think that's where you get the support from because people are really, just looking for somebody to help and look for somebody to help them. And it's just a mutual benefit to everyone, you know? And yep. the, the other thing I was going to ask you too, Jacob, how did you all yep. come across Bamboo Detroit and, and become, cause I know you all come become involved with events there too. How, how did you come across Bamboo? Yeah. I'm glad you asked. Cause uh, I was going to, I was going to uh, give a shout out <laughs> just to reiterate what you were saying. So um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of how I first came across Bamboo. I think it was just probably through like events programming. So Okay. I, I just can't be enough of a fan of, of what Bamboo does with event planning. Um, sure. Huge shout out to their entire team. Sure. Um, I think originally, before I even knew Amanda, um, Dave Anderson, who was one of the founders of, of Bamboo, was, was on my radar. I don't remember how we met, but um, I think I met him first and then started hearing about what they were working on. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and was just, again, initially blown away by the by the event planning and then uh, just the the focus on community. So Bamboo approaches co-working space as more than just space for people to come together and work. Right. Uh, it's it's so much more. It's it's about building community. It's very community first uh, approach. Right. Which just makes so much sense. And I know that like from from the onset, uh, from you know looking at the founding team, uh, you know the diversity of background on the founding team. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to from day one, the, the focus was always on how do we build an inclusive community to incre- to, to put ourselves in the best position to to spur, uh, you know, creativity and, and create a, a, a welcoming environment. Sure. Um, that that's always been my perception of bamboo. Um, that's what drew me to it in the first place. So, you know, it's just a really exciting thing. And then um, I've, I've hosted a number of programs at bamboo over the years. Um, so they've been they've been amazing in terms of uh, you know, supporting me and, and other work that I've done. Um, yeah, man, I, I have a, I have a side project called the returning citizen. That's a podcast. It's a storytelling platform for, uh, folks transitioning out of prison. And I met my partner at an event that I was co-hosting at bamboo. Okay. Um, so I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of, <laughs> of the experience that I've had with bamboo over the years. Wow. That's fantastic. Jacob, but man, I'm, I'm just, Man, you got me. Run, you got you running on all cylinders. I'm trying to run, trying to catch behind you. See what you're doing, man. It's, it's fantastic, man. But um, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you. I'm glad you came on. Um, you know, downtown and joined Bamboo as well because, um, you know, the thing is now that you can make yourself more visible and and come to more events and things like that. I've seen you a lot of different things lately, which is good. So before we close out, man, I, I got you. Mm-hmm. I got to give you one last question. It's more introspective than anything else. When you look Please. back, when you look back on, you know, your life and your career and where you are today, what what can you say and what can you tell the listening audience were some of your most valuable life lessons during your career that you've learned and you're willing to share? Yeah, man. Let me um, 
I want to think of how to, how to do that in the most succinct way possible. I'll give you a, a few quick ones that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, when you're in a tough decision, when you have multiple opportunities available, when you're not sure which way to go, uh, I remember having kind of an epiphany when I was younger, uh, like early in my career, that I used to kind of have this perception that there was, it was like, I would either go this way or this way, and I was either making the right choice or I was going to make the wrong choice. Right. Uh, so I think having the, the realization that there are multiple correct paths. Okay. Uh, I don't know how to say that better, but uh, there's, there's multiple correct paths. So when you're in a, when you find yourself in a situation where uh, you've, you've rationalized and you've thought about it and thought about it and, and, and you've, you've broken it into pros and cons and you, you know, both opportunities seem equally as, as interesting on paper. And, you know, when you rationalize it or, or whatever it is, uh, go with the one that feels right. Okay. You know, like sure. just, in general, like just as a general tip for, for making decisions there, there's no such, like there's multiple correct paths. As I, as I started uh, the podcast talking about starting my business, if I, if you had told me going into that situation that you're going to work your butt off for three years and then ultimately the business is going to, you know, you're going to get in a fight with your partner and the business is going to fizzle out. Right. I would have been like, man, I don't want to do that. Right. But right. Look at, looking back on it, it was the perfect correct decision. If I, if I hadn't taken that, if I hadn't gone down that path, I would have never been hired at my age to be running business development at a venture backed startup sure. uh, downtown. Like just period. I, I just wouldn't have had that opportunity. So um, yeah, I think uh, so. So definitely that's, that's one. So, you know, there, there are multiple correct paths. You can, it's not, you Whatever you choose, that's the correct choice. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe that's a better way to say it. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, perfect. Yeah, and then another big one, and this is uh, this is one that um, actually came up earlier today, uh, is is just the, the concept of, of persistence. Persistence pays. Okay. Uh, so, like, and this I think is is what I've pulled away from my experience with with sales, particularly. I I think a lot of people try something or try reaching out to someone or something and they they give up before they give up way too early yeah uh in in marketing i, I don't remember exactly what the stat is but i learned in marketing school is like we uh, the average uh it takes like six to seven marketing impressions to get someone to act okay if you if you gave up after two you you missed like you missed the whole point yeah uh, you know it, it takes it takes more than that and then with sales it's it's a matter of uh you know, not pestering somebody. You don't want to annoy somebody until they, 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 you know, put up a wall and ignore you. You want to be just consistently providing value to other humans sure. such that when they have the problem that you can solve, they think of you. Sure. And it, it all comes back to persistence. Um, I actually asked uh, a, a good pal of mine, Adam Finkel, uh, earlier today. Um, he, he got uh, a, a really impressive speaker at an event uh, last year. And I asked him earlier how he how he did it because I, I was just so blown away and, and I've always wondered. And I said, you know, how did you get him at the event? And he said it took about 50 phone calls over four years. Wow. I was like, dang, that's, you know, I I, I would have given up. I would have I would have assumed after call 10, no, absolutely. <laughs> after call five, you know, I would have I would have assumed that the answer was just no. Yeah. Another great example of what I'm describing is Tristan Walker from Foursquare. So uh, without going into too much detail, uh, you can Google Tristan Walker Foursquare story, something like that. Uh, if, if he hadn't been persistent, it took him a, you know months and months, if not years, whatever it was, reaching out to the, the Foursquare team uh, before they even gave him a shot. And now he's you know, a, a successful, wildly successful entrepreneur, super high profile, yep. uh, and, and just would have never had that opportunity uh, had he not been persistent or if he had assumed that uh you know their the initial lack of response uh reflected a lack of, of interest necessarily right um so so be persistent by providing value don't be annoying be valuable and be persistently valuable uh, yeah. uh, and then i would say the last um just one more one that, that's come into mind that i think is is one that i this was a little bit later in my career and one that's been uh, enormously, enormously influential for me. Uh, Todd Saxe from Saxe Construction. 
mm-hmm. uh, big construction company downtown. Yeah. Uh, just an amazing, amazing role model and mentor uh, for me. I uh, can't, can't speak highly enough of, of, uh, of Todd and, and the wisdom he's, he's provided me over the years. Uh, Todd once told me I was, I was earlier in my career, I was describing, you know, my, my angst and, and being worried, you know, how do I know what I want to do and blah, 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 and all these things. And he just stopped and he said, Jacob, life is measured. He said, why are you in such a rush? Right. Life is measured in decades, not right. in years, right? It's measured in decades, not in years. And his point was that, uh, I think especially for the, for, for my generation, and, and I can imagine that the, the next generation will be even, even, uh, you know, this will be an even bigger challenge. We're, we're so accustomed to immediate gratification yeah. that people, people feel it, it's, it goes beyond just entitlement. People just want, they assume that they need to make their mark today. And, right. and what that, when you, when you approach a career, especially in, in something like entrepreneurship, if you're only looking for opportunities that are going to make you successful today or this year or whatever the case may be short term, you're, you're overlooking so many other opportunities. Um, right. So for me, kind of what coming out of that conversation and, and a number of things that I, I learned the hard way myself, I, the, the way that I kind of, that I think about my, my career and my value now, uh, I, I think about opportunities in terms of how they're, uh, how they're adding tools to my arsenal. How right. is this, how is this opportunity professional, uh, you know, outside of work, this learning opportunity, whatever it is, how is this uh, building my arsenal? How is this helping? Uh, how is this contributing to my legacy? Sure. Right. So, and, and I think when you, when you think about your legacy, as opposed to your, uh, you know, am I going to be in cranes 20 in the twenties, nothing against cranes. Uh, but you know, if you're, if you're just thinking, you know, how can I be, you know, make, make a, a ton of money today. Uh, you just, you just are missing out on, on a bunch of, uh, of, of opportunities and adding a ton of unnecessary, uh, stress, oh, yeah. um, to, to your life. So, I uh, can't recommend highly enough. Uh, I think sometimes that's the type of lesson that you need to learn the hard way. I, I had people say it to me in different ways earlier in my career, and I wasn't ready to hear it. Um, but uh, I can I can say from say confidently from experience that if you view each opportunity as a stepping stone towards a bigger goal, a bigger legacy, uh, it, it's enormously enormously helpful, especially in an industry like. Uh, or especially in a, a you know a, a field, I guess entrepreneurship's not a field, but especially in entrepreneurship. Um, and yeah, those are some some tidbits I would give. Excellent, man. That's great. That's great advice. I appreciate that, uh, folks listening out there. Make sure that you listen closely. If you have to rewind it, rewind it because those are golden nuggets. And if you're thinking <laughs> about starting a business, even if you're not thinking about starting a business, if you're looking at Maybe even different aspects of your life, of what you are thinking about doing, and something budding with you that's been budding within you for the last several years, and you are scared to take that leap, and you're thinking about taking it. Take it now. I mean, Jacob's got some great advice for you, so have the courage to just do it. And with that being said, Mr. Jacob Smith, thank you so much for being on the Doers Network. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you coming on and doing an interview with me. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I look forward to. Uh, hopefully talking again in the future. Most definitely. So thanks all of you for listening. Once again, this is Donald Robinson II, and you've been listening to the Doers Network, where actives grow and thrive. Thanks for tuning in to our interview with Jacob Smith, former director of Detroit chapter of Venture for America, and also all around tech entrepreneur, business developer, and startup organizer. If you want to reach out to Jacob, you can reach him through social media under Jacob Evan Smith. So make sure you reach out to him if you have any questions regarding if you want to start up a business, be it tech or any other type of venture. Jacob has a vast amount and wide range of experience. So please contact him for all of your business needs. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Bamboo Detroit, located in the heart of downtown Detroit. Bamboo Detroit specializes in co-working space and amenities for entrepreneurs and forward thinkers. Bamboo Detroit, where we do more together because Detroit is for doers. We appreciate your support by subscribing to our podcast right here on the Doers Network. Thanks for listening. You've been
listening to The Doers Podcast, where actives grow and thrive. The Doers Podcast is produced by Bamboo Detroit Network. For more information, visit us at bamboodetroit.com.